to start off this episode with a word, visceral. When I say something is visceral, I'm not talking about the intellect or the reasonable. For something to be visceral, it means to have impacted the body, to have impacted the human body. And in the bestseller Between the World and Me by ta Coates, we learn and he describes racism as a visceral experience. See, racism is more than just policy and history. It's actually an experience of the body, and, and this is what we learn from Tanahasi Coates' um, book, Between the World and Me. For example, when someone inflicts physical violence on someone else, that person's mind is now traumatized. And I'm sure we can all attest that trauma has lingering effects, and those effects are so severe that sometimes they have the power to manifest themselves in many different ways throughout a person's life. In this podcast, my interviewees span from a young Black woman to a Spanish-speaking family of an indigenous Native American tribe. And as we listen and learn from them, we realize the experience of racism is visceral. It is a bodily experience that they will deal with every single day of their life. And this just makes their experience so different and more complicated to navigate and also just further address. Let's get into it. Let's start listening to some of these interviews. I conducted an interview with an elder. Her name was Gloria Camarillo, and she was part of the Tapilamcoiteca Nation, which is a Native American community in San Antonio. She is 80 years old and actually spent her life as an activist. Um, she was known to help alongside organizations that protect minorities. And having the perspective of an elder, you know, allows people to see how social forces shape the aging experience. And I believe this is so significant and, and so important because we can notice while some things have changed, others have not. Let's go ahead and listen to a clip where Gloria is telling me a bit about herself. I started school speaking nothing but Spanish. And that, as I share this with you, those are like moments that started defining my myself in this in this society or in the in San Antonio that it was where you have to really it was a struggle that has brought me to where I am at and for and foremost and most important it's because I was Punished. I was punished. Not only me, but we were all of us Spanish-speaking children were punished for speaking Spanish. I just want to reflect on this. School often tells us who we are, especially when learning about history and culture. Sometimes we accept what they tell us, or sometimes we reject it. Interesting. She continues. 
It was the struggle that has brought me to where I'm at now. And first and foremost, and most important, it's because I was punished. I was punished not only by myself, but all of us Spanish-speaking children were punished for speaking Spanish. Gloria was placed along fences in the burning hot sun, as well as her peers. This was a punishment for speaking their native tongue. I want to listen to one more clip where she continues recalling these experiences and what they mean to her now. Well, you have people that have conformed. You have then someone like me that still carries a grudge. Mm -hmm. A grudge that you try to overcome mm -hmm. little by little, but the hurt mm -hmm. is still there. A, a, a hurt that sometimes I guess a lot of us will take it to our grave. Mm -hmm. Because he, it would have been, I would have been another Gloria mm -hmm. if I would have had a better relationship or they would have really cared. Those teachers would have cared about me as a person and not starting uh, taking, putting me on a fence uh -huh. because I spoke Spanish. Definitely, I would have, I would have been a better person. Uh, this world would have been a better person because then we would, there would be our, the friendships and relationships we would, have, we would have developed with so many beautiful people uh -huh. that we went to school with. Uh -huh. Here in these two clips, we can see racism taking place as a visceral experience. And although it's been 60 years since Gloria was in school, through those years, she's actually taken the initiative to define herself and develop a very strong confidence in her culture. You know, the racism she experienced as a little girl still has negative effects on her today. And she explains this racism that she endured so long ago as as something she can never correct, but instead just accept, taking it to the grave. These experiences in school seem to produce different feelings depending on the person. It can produce desire for assimilation, or it can ignite a sense of resistance. In 1968, with the passing of the Bilingual Education Act, speaking Spanish in schools was no longer punished. Today, we see many dual language schools program for English language learners. But while Spanish is accepted in schools today, forces of exclusion still persist, despite the changes in laws. Now let's look at an interview, my interview, with a 21-year-old Black woman attending UT Austin. We discussed her experiences as a black child growing up in a predominantly white atmosphere. When I asked her if she had ever felt uncomfortable in schools as a minority, she stated, all throughout my life. I'm not going to give specific instances, but of course I have. And I think if there were more conversations around race, there would be less uncomfortable moments for black women like me growing up. Further into the conversation, I asked her, how would she approach this discomfort for her kids growing up? And her response was, if I had kids, I would hope to homeschool them because what I went through as a black woman isn't something I'd want for them. This speaks volumes.
when it comes to her children, this, this hypothetical instance, her experience in school kind of leads to this rejection of the institution altogether. She's recalling on, on these feelings produced while she was in school as a, as a young child, as a young black child in predominantly white atmospheres. And, and it's safe to say that she has learned how to deal with racism in school and how to navigate through microaggressions in order to not be constrained by them. Who would want their children to have to learn how to accept racism rather than just not dealing with it at all? And this is another example of indirect racism affecting the lives of people of color. You know, racism as this visceral experience where she's able to recall, you know, trauma um, from being a little girl in, in school and how that's not something she would want for anyone she loves. And I think it's very important to note that this indirect racism that this young black woman is experiencing or has experienced takes place similarly the way it did for Gloria 60 years ago. The last interview I want to address was with another member of the Tapilam Koitaka Nation, Ramon Vasquez, a son of two elders. Let's listen. had something very powerful to say. And I just want to refer back to Tanahasi Coates because one of his most powerful assertions, I believe, addresses what Ramon is talking about. And that statement is, doing violence to the African-American body is an American legacy and tradition. It is not a failure of the system. It is part of the system. As much as may have changed in the past decades, the past centuries, the basic fear of African-American parents remains that their children can be snatched away, brutalized, killed for the smallest of reasons or no reason at all. And too often this violence is never addressed as anything more than an unavoidable force of nature, like a hurricane. Ramon's comment on whiteness points out this idea of an embedded system that has allowed for the oppression of minorities the same way Tanahasi speaks of the American legacy. I think it's fair to say that this system and, and the world has been created against the bodies of people of color. And, and this makes unity among races and cultures so much harder to accomplish. This is racism as a bodily experience, a violence that is treated as invisible, like, like an unavoidable force of nature, like Tanahasi Coates says that no one likes to talk about. Not to mention the Ta-Nehisi Coates book I've been pulling these ideas out of is on Matt Krause's banned book list, 
We know that the discussion of legacy or racism are censored by SB3 and the harm caused by slavery and policy towards Native communities is supposed to be taught as an aberration of the founding, not central to the founding. I believe there's truly something to be said about the toll that can be taken on minorities. We see it here in, in all three of these interviews, spanning over three different ge generations, still experiencing racism as, as this severely uncomfortable bodily experience, you know, despite all of the policy changes that have been implemented in order to erase these feelings of discomfort. So this problem is, is fundamentally about relationships between people and, and their communities. To end this podcast, I'd like to end with a quote said by Ramon Vasquez about the direction we as a society need to head in. No, I think it's important that we continue to have you know, these conversations. That, so the, idea, the idea is about restoration, it's about being restorative, right? With relations, right? Not about uh, putting anyone down. Right? But how do we be restorative? How do we uh, bring about healing? Right? And you can't heal something without having conversations about it. Thank you, everyone, for taking time to listen to this podcast. I really hope you enjoyed this segment of racism as a visceral experience. And I really encourage you guys to reflect on your own experiences of racism. And if you haven't experienced any, maybe think of how other people have dealt with racism in their lives. You know, um, go out and have some conversations challenge discussions of race in the classroom because who knows, maybe conversations can be the beginning to an end. <laughs>